Do we have an episode for you today on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, Darren Millard here, the host chair, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. A couple of feature interviews, including one from a player in Sweden who is off to a career start, and there's a training aid, an approach to his game that he adopted right at the pause last spring that has carried over, and they've made a change to his game, and it's resulted in three shutouts in the first four games. We will chat with Nicholas Rubin from Sweden. We will also catch up with Troy Grosnick, who has moved on to the Los Angeles Kings organization, and based on the last couple of years, uh, playing with the Ontario Reign means you're going to get some time with the LA Kings, and maybe, best of all, is an opportunity to have the ear of one Bill Ranford, a friend of Ingoal Magazine, will chat with uh, Troy Grosnick and also catch up with the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Surrey uh, with their buddy Cam and uh, looking at goal mass and the Bauer goal mass line, the 960 uh, setup. Uh, they made a change there with the foam. So a lot to get to today on the heels of free agency. Gentlemen, did you, did you get through the opening day of free agency and how much did you enjoy that Friday when it was all about the goaltenders, Hutch? It was coming fast and furious, but for me, the highlight, because we love to banter here a little bit, and I have to tell you, I had an opportunity to get on the ice on Friday uh, with a recent NHL draft pick, and we'll have more from him uh, coming up in a future episode soon. Uh, So I actually drove uh, to get on the ice um, with Dylan Garan, drafted by the New York Rangers, and um, as a result, I missed, well, I was driving as a lot of this was happening, but I got to hear Woody make one of his 752 radio appearances that day because mm-hmm. uh, every Vancouver radio station wanted to catch up on every little thing about Braden Holpe. And that was the highlight of my week, I have to tell you. I mean, it it got me a good hour down the road as Kevin answered just the first question. He was so giddy about Braden Holtby coming to Vancouver. So can I just uh, just mention uh, yeah. one of those 752 radio hits was on uh, Fox Sports Las Vegas with me as I pulled him in because oh, it was I didn't even so know fast. I even pulled in Woody and said I need a goaltending guru to to explain to our audience here in the Las Vegas Valley. So I know exactly what you speak of, Hutch. And you only had to ask him one question, and he got all five <laughs> answers. So that's what's so fantastic. <laughs> So I, I, no, it was a fantastic day. It was an unprecedented day really for goaltenders, wasn't it? And, uh, and at the same time, as you see all these families getting uprooted and moving around North America, it's incredibly exciting for all of us fans of goaltending to anticipate what next year is going to be like, even though we're going to see a lot of guys in some strange jerseys. And that for me would start with Henrik Lundqvist and Braden Holtby. Woody, uh, how would you have described that day? Was there as much movement as you necessarily forecast going into it? I got to be honest with you, I think the overall movement was not actually... Kind of right in the middle, eh? Yeah, it was kind of typical for the offseason. The difference, like we see musical chairs every year when it comes to goaltenders. And quite often you can literally like do like a rotation of five or six teams, just move every everyone over one spot and it forms a perfect circle. It really is like musical chairs. The difference this year, as Hutch alluded to, is the name power of the guys who are moving. Like a lot of the times it's guys looking for that one B spot, you know, a handful of number ones. But even with Robin Lehner already off the market in Vegas after signing that extension, like 
you know, you're talking about Jacob Markstrom, fourth in the Vesna voting, sliding over. Braden Holtby leaving a team where he won a cup in a Vesna. Henrik Lundqvist, a franchise icon, moving down the road in Chicago. So to me, it was the brand power of these names that we're talking about massive names with well-established careers, uh, changing teams, grabbing a different seat. And a couple of guys, you know, like Aaron Dell didn't get an NHL seat, right? They've been in the national for a couple of years now with San Jose. I thought it done some really good things with the Sharks. He has to, I guess, you know, there's no other word for it, settle for sort of a number three spot in Toronto behind Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell. So uh, I don't know that it was any different than any offseason in terms of the volume. To me, it was the level of the guys that were changing teams. And I think it all started with Jacob Markstrom, a guy who, you know, flew under the radar a little bit here in Vancouver because his raw numbers weren't off the charts great. Like he didn't have a 930 save percentage. But clearly when you see the interest from teams um, to bring him in, they understood how big an impact he had on the Vancouver Canucks. Two last two-time team MVP here the last couple of seasons uh, behind a pretty porous defense. He's been really good. And so the Flames lined up an offer, the Edmonton Oilers lined up a big offer, and he ultimately ends up going to Calgary. And that sort of sets off this um, this chain reaction of guys going elsewhere. It was actually interesting uh, that the Markstrom deal wasn't announced till later. Like we knew about Holtby coming to Vancouver, which meant Jacob Markstrom was leaving hours before it was confirmed where he was going to. Let's start by uh, throwing out some names, and uh, the two of you can chime in on your thoughts on the move or the status quo, and then we'll get into Troy Grosnick and Nicholas Rubin, and uh, also catch up with Cam over at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, uh, Surrey. And uh, and let's start with uh, Jacob Markstrom and the six-year deal with the Calgary Flames. How important was that for the organization? Okay, so one quick little caveat here. Actually, it's a shameless plug. We've got a few of them in this episode. <laughs> For our Ingle Premium subscribers, make sure you check out the article that went out on Saturday morning. We kind of worked on it all day. It was kind of shifting as Hutch was on the ice. We had we had one article in mind, and by the time he got got off the ice, um, we had a whole other article. And But the premise is we were actually able, thanks to the help from ClearSight Analytics, uh, the company run by Stephen Valaket, who we've had on the show before, they can actually plug Team X and take goalie A or goalie B and plug them into Team X's environment and spit out a number. Now, that environment's going to wow. change because we've had def- defensemen. Yeah, but we've had defensemen shift and the environmental change and coaches and philosophies and the personnel here in Vancouver. Can you plug anyone into Markstrom's environment last year when they've moved on Chris Tanev and moved on Troy Stetcher and brought in... Um, you know, Nate Schmidt. I don't know, but we can at least take a look at what it would look like historically. And so if you check out that article at ingoldmag.com for premium subscribers, premium members, you'll be able to basically see how these guys should fit in their new systems as part of the breakdown. To me, Markstrom in Calgary fits for a number of reasons. One, he gives you that bona fide number one that they've been looking for since Kipper left. Um, they really, they've kind of had a revolving door of different guys. Some have done great jobs, but there's never sort of been that guy there to be the guy. And they have that in Markstrom. That's a little, that's a fluffy analysis. You want the hard numbers. Jacob Markstrom excelled like no one else in the NHL at clear sighted shots. So we talk about Vancouver in terms of the hard environment and the cross ice plays, slot line plays, rebounds and screens. Those are the tough shots. And he, he, was, he was above average in all of those things, and that bodes well for Calgary. 
But the one thing he really excelled at was not giving up the easy ones. And those are the clear-sighted shots. Nobody in the NHL over the past two seasons has been better at it. And I do think that type of shot feeds his game and allows him to feel good about his game. So if you took Jacob Markstrom and put him in in Carolina, for example, I'd be a bit nervous because he wouldn't get as many of those types of shots to feel good. Calgary is one of the few teams in the National Hockey League that actually gives up more clear-sighted shots than the Vancouver Canucks. So I think it answers that question. If you had questions about could he be a great goalie behind a team where he wasn't as busy, you don't have to worry about that in Calgary. The environment is actually similar. There's just less difficult shots as well. So I just think he, I think he's going to be a great fit there. It'll be interesting uh, to see how uh, him and Jordan Sigalette work together. Uh, clearly a lot of focus in the Vancouver market on the work he did with Ian Clark to reinvent his game the past two seasons. And now it's going to be on, on Jacob and on Jordan to make sure that they take another step and keep building off that uh, can't afford to take any steps back with that contract. Hutch, what do you make of Marks from joining Calgary? Well, I was just going to say, I, I love that Woody's brought up the clear-sighted shot metric, and I I think of it a different way, not not just Markstrom being able to get comfortable with his, his game because of how Vancouver defended, um, but I also think about the effect on the team, and we often see people, you know, the armchair analysts looking at things saying, well, he's giving up goals at the wrong time. He's giving up the wrong kind of goals. And I don't mean Markstrom specifically. Um, but the the effect that those sort of goals can have on a team and a team psyche, I find fascinating. So I think it's an interesting thing to look at. And we've been on the ice uh, with NHL coaches who are talking about how they want goaltenders to play a particular situation for that very reason. You know, we want to be a little more aggressive on this play because if you give one up here, it doesn't look good and, and it's kind of deflating to the team. So we're willing to expose ourselves here a little bit more. So the psychology of some of these things, I think, is fascinating. And I, and I love that Woody brought it up. I was going to say the uh, it's not just psychology like it. You could, we talk about statistics. When you give up a clear sighted goal, your team loses 87 percent of the games where that happens, unless the guy at the other end reciprocates and gives up a bad one himself. Like, so that effect, not just psychologically, it's a real statistical effect. Like what it does to a team, yes, but it just basically means when you're giving up one of those, chances are you're losing the game. 87% of the time are the numbers that Valakhet gave me. And for Markstrom, he didn't give up. Interestingly enough, this season, a single clear-sighted goal on a low danger chance. I mean, you can get some clear sight in the inner slot, and there was a couple there, but from the outside, clear-sighted, not a single goal, only guy in the league who faced more than 500 chances to do that. And I think it does speak to the confidence because it's interestingly enough, a year before Ian Clark arrived here in Vancouver, it was the number one criticism of Jacob Markstrom, not just the bad goal from distance that went through him, but the fact that quite often happened early in games and he's erased that. And as long as he's capable of you know, sort of maintaining the level he set this year. I think that bodes well. We're going to have to pick up our pace on the uh, the rest of the uh, crop or else <laughs> we're, we're going to be here for th- four hours. Uh, but just it. for f- to be transparent, no pun intended, a uh, clear-sighted shot is just something that uh, there's no screen. Uh, you're not seeing it through a defenseman's leg. What, just to be clearer than that? As long as the goaltender has clear sight on the shot for a half a second and they use frame rates to measure it in terms of being able to get to your spot set and square if, if, if it is not on and off the stick in less than half a second, that's a clear-sighted shot. 
Thank you. Uh, Braden Holpe, uh, music stores in the Lower Mainland are going to be excited about uh, Braden Holpe arriving in Vancouver and the hockey shop source for Sports Surrey. Uh, we'll have to get him out to, uh, to Cam and the company uh, as he joins the Vancouver Canucks for a couple of years, Woody. Although we, 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 I don't know that we're selling, anybody is selling any Braden Holpe model equipment. Uh, last goalie in the league that still has toe caps custom built onto his pads. So a little old school. And we've, we've kind of joked with Braden in the past. We did during the webinar. And, and for, you know, again, a shameless plug, uh, our, our Ingle Premium members actually had a chance to sit down with Braden Holpe and John Stevenson um, and, and do a, a live webinar with the both of them. And one of the questions was about his old school gear. And interestingly enough, in the bubble, he, he updated his skates. So, um, it'll be interesting to get a, a close up look at, at the gear and how it evolves here in Vancouver. I do think that this is a good fit as well. Obviously better term and number for Brayden Holpe than what they would have had to give up to, to keep Jacob Markstrom, but also it lets them hang on to, lets them hang on to, Thatcher Demko in the long term. And, you know, I, I, again, we look at the chances. The only sort of negative fit here between the Canucks and Braden Holpe is if this team continues to bleed lateral plays, um, slot line plays, plays across the middle of the ice that forced the goalie to go from one side to the other. That was one where Braden Holpe struggled last season with Washington. It's a chance the Canucks give up. I think the fifth most in the NHL, something that will probably have to change, although I would expect, you know, they'll probably ask Braden to make some adjustments in terms of how much movement he has on those types of chances as well. It's not like he's not capable of stopping them, but in a really tough Washington environment, and we can get into Hank on this, um, like hope he played in the, the lowest expected save percentage among starters in the National Hockey League. In other words, defensive environments in the NHL Braden Holpe had the hardest last season. So there aren't many goalies in the league that can come to Vancouver and actually have an easier workload potentially, uh, but Braden Holpe was one of them. Didn't see a couple of years ago, Braden Holpe and Nate Schmidt both ending up in uh, Vancouver, but uh, the former teammates in Washington will play with the Vancouver Canucks uh, together. Uh, Hank ends up with the Washington Capitals. Uh, Hutch, uh, this is going to be, well, first of all, I can't wait for his kit. Uh, to, to see what, no he, what he decks no out. Uh, but the other part is just the opportunity uh, to to play on a contender uh, at the time of his career where he might just have one or two more last shots. Yeah, and I mean, speaking to exactly what Woody just said, I, I feel for him stepping into one of the toughest defensive environments in the National Hockey League. And, uh, you know, personally, I was hoping to, to see somebody like Colorado pick him up because I thought that might have been a fantastic fit and a chance for him to... Uh, to hoist the cup so i mean definitely we'd love to see him successful in washington but but i am worried about that piece and i am very excited about the gear i know people have floated a few um custom options out there on on twitter already like what i've seen personally is there is there a team he could have gone to that would have had a more iconic look possibility you know you've got the new york look and now you've got all those those national monuments in washington i think it's the perfect move maybe he moved for the gear I wouldn't be surprised with with well, I, I no. That's tongue in cheek. <laughs> that's tongue in cheek. But uh, but boy, it's uh, it's going to be spectacular. It's the first thing I thought of. Uh, Woody, uh, just uh, uh, two teams that kind of got things going in a sideways so form that we didn't really expect. One, the New Jersey Devils buying out Corey Schneider, and the Chicago Blackhawks moving on from Corey Crawford. 
Yeah, and they kind of tie in, obviously, with the Devils signing Crawford um, to a two-year deal. I think it's 3.9. It averages at 3.9 million average annual value against the salary cap. So essentially with the Corey Schneider buyout, which caught me off guard, and Chicago moving on from Corey Crawford, which caught me off guard, and then him signing in New Jersey. The Devils are actually, for the next two seasons, spending the exact same amount on goaltending. Uh, Crawford and and Schneider's buyout together add up to just under six million. So I think I think they save a hundred thousand dollars. I am a little surprised here. I thought Corey in each of the past two seasons, by the end of the season, like he figured things out. And obviously, he was on the podcast with us um, last summer, uh, talking about that strong finish to the season and how he figured some things out. And obviously, there were you know hip injuries and hip surgeries that had had kind of changed things for him, but he felt like he really found his game. And I thought there were signs of that again late this season. Um, but as he told the athletic just a couple of days ago himself, um, he understands that, you know, the devils probably couldn't afford the start again that he had each of the past two seasons. And so they were looking to go a different way. Happy to hear that. It looks like he'll land with the Islanders and Mitch Korn. Uh, I do think that as much as we focus on Semyon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin as the tandem for the Islanders next season, uh, it is going to be important for them to have another guy there, and there may be an opportunity, if we look at the Rangers model, for Corey Schneider to play early. Um, because again, for New York, Shesterkin was amazing in the second half, but he needed the first half in the American League to sort of adjust to playing behind uh, a different style of hockey, a little more direct style of hockey in a smaller rink. And so if Sorokin requires the same, what a great opportunity for Corey Schneider behind a really good defensive team coached by Barry Trotz and working with Mitch Korn to maybe reestablish himself on a short-term, low-cost contract. Um, but again, yeah, I was I was caught off guard. I thought uh, I thought the Devils would stick with him based on how he finished each of the past two seasons. And when it comes to Chicago, I'm like I like their young goaltenders a lot, but Corey Crawford was just such a massive part of that franchise. And I don't even mean just the Cubs. I mean actually even maybe even more so the past couple of seasons as they started to bleed scoring chances. He was so good for them and I think overlooked at times just how good he was in a tough defensive environment. And so the assumption, I think, with him wanting to be back there and, and willing to be back there um, was that he would be back there. So that one that one caught me off guard a lot. $12 million in goaltending for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers stick with the tandem that they had last year. Uh, Hutch, which way do you want to go here for your assessment? I think they're both a bit of a shocker for me. You're you're going to know a lot more about Vegas, and maybe you need to hop in after this. But uh, I know they've said that they're sticking with this as a tandem, and I know we need to see what happens um, with the rehab for Robin Lehner. But uh, I think I'll still be surprised if they carry both of those guys through next season. There's just uh, too much money tied up there that they could be using to improve the team. And uh, and yeah, I think we were all a little bit shocked with Edmonton. I. Perhaps it is, though, a case of where they, they tried to go all in on uh, Jacob Markstrom and then were suddenly left, in this case, with a team with with a chair that they needed to fill pretty quickly before uh, all the names came off the board in the musical chair game. For me, actually, you know, the musical chairs was a little different this year in the sense that I made up a whole chart of everybody and where they fit in just to try and track how many names were involved. And I think it was the number of big names that stuck around maybe a little longer. I mean, there's still some established names out there that are looking for teams to play for. Uh, Ryan Miller, I think we all assumed would end up back in Anaheim, but I don't think that's done yet. And Craig Anderson still would like to play Jimmy Howard. Um, a, a number of names out there. And I think 
things like that Chicago situation where they've gone with two young guys is uh and you know young guys coming in and in the on the island and and other places uh fewer fewer seats available for the more established guys and so we see people like Aaron Dell and Corey Schneider having to sort of reestablish themselves at a, at another level so that was the surprise for me but Darren what do you hear on on Vegas they're going to go with the the tandem and they're looking at uh, what the league anticipates plenty more uh, speculation that is growing about a compacted schedule and maybe a reduced schedule to, to jam it in and you won't have that break to get fresh for the Stanley Cup playoffs the idea of having a tandem and uh, I do think it's it's for one year and then will be reassessed uh, Flurry has uh, two years left on the contract uh, but for for one more year uh, for the next season it's going to be 12 million dollars in goaltenders and they made it work by still being able to acquire Alex Petrangelo uh, so there's got to be a little bit more support in there uh, I, I like it I think it's unconventional but I but I like it I think it's it's different it's sort of what Montreal and and, and Vegas Montreal, have done. I was gonna say Montreal as well having just re-signed Jake Allen today for another two years too we'll uh, we'll see it uh, see how that works yeah that that late uh, acquisition or the announcement about about Jake Allen and there's another guy who I can't wait to see uh, what he's going to come up with uh, for his setup uh, not necessarily a free agent acquisition but uh, Anton Hudobin Woody stays with the Dallas Stars and Devin Dubnik uh, before we uh, move too much on uh, ends up with the San Jose Sharks and I'm not sure I ever got your assessment on Matt Murray in Ottawa. So uh, three different goaltenders there with Matt Murray signing the long-term contract uh, with the Ottawa Senators. Okay, so first let's go back to Fleury and Mike Smith. The one th- I actually think those two, I thought they might have been intertwined. To me, I thought that might be the transaction once they oh. missed out on Markstrom that yep. a team like Edmonton might look at, not knowing at that point that, that, um, that Vegas had no intention of moving him or at least you know, at that by that point, with Robin undergoing surgery and everything they'd done with their cap moving Stastny to that point. Um, so interestingly enough, I actually asked for Clear Sight to to perform the exercise for me. Plug Marc Andre Fleury into the Edmonton Oilers system. And the thing is, the numbers weren't as compelling as I thought they would be. And so seeing that, maybe I understand a little more the decision. Um, to hold on to Mike Smith, especially for one year, because it gives you some flexibility heading into the expansion year the following summer when there are likely going to be a lot of teams looking to move goalies for an asset, younger goalies for an asset, rather than lose them for nothing in expansion. And you might be able to pick up something for the future there. Um, But yeah, I was kind of surprised. I put Marc-Andre Fleury and Mike Smith into Miko Koskinen's environment, and there was very little difference between the two. At the end of the day, Miko Koskinen was nine goals better than either one in that environment, and I think that's what a lot of people miss. For all the focus on Mike Smith, Miko Koskinen finished seventh in the, in the NHL with his adjusted numbers last season, was very stable for them. He's not spectacular, but he did a very good, a very excellent, like he, again, top seven job for the Oilers. So, And then you plug Marc-Andre Fleury into Mike Smith's environment, and the savings was only about four goals. So not as big a gap, maybe not the kind of gap that if you're Edmonton, you're like, we're going to give up assets and eat a whole bunch of cap space here for, because they're tight too. So there's that one. Um, you know, in terms of the other moves, Darren, I've talked so much, I can't even remember the question. I was going to say, you if you me. can remember anything I asked you, you are brilliant after... I'm clearly not brilliant. Uh, you're not clear-sighted. 
Devin Dubnik to San Jose, and then we'll get your thoughts on Hudobin Matt Murray, and right. Matt Murray signing the long-term deal. Uh, Hudobin makes sense in Dallas really quick. I, my understanding was the ask was three times 3.6. He was only going to go to a place where he had a chance to win. I know there was interest in Vancouver once Markstrom moved on, uh, but once they went with Holpe and they only wanted a goalie for two years, Hudobin was able to get his three-year ask a little less than the money they were looking for originally from Dallas. And what better fit than yeah, a team a that deal. you just helped take yeah, all the way to the cup final. And this is just the reality. Ben Bishop is still capable of excellence. But he's also shown a uh, struggle staying healthy. And Hudobin can give you great minutes playing fewer minutes. Or as he showed you in the playoffs, he can give you number one minutes in a workload situation. He's a perfect fit there. Three years, you know, I know there's they, they got a guy named Jake Odinger who's probably going, really? Another three years? I got to wait? But it makes sense for them right now. Uh, Matt Murray to Ottawa is an interesting one. I I'm going to be honest, it's kind of hard to look at that contract and like it's it's hard to defend the number six and a quarter. That's a big ticket at a time when nobody else was getting it. But I like the fit for Matt Murray and all the things that made Matt Murray what he is. Like none of that's disappeared. Okay, he's still the mental strength, the comparisons to Dryden that he earned winning two cups. Like there are a lot of positives there. The one thing that needed to change and will need to change and it's already started. The process has begun. Interestingly enough, with, with Adam Francilia, who performed a similar process with Connor Hellebuck, is he has to narrow up his stance and not play as low and wide as he did in Pittsburgh. He won two cups that way. The Penguins defended lateral plays as well as anyone in the NHL and created them at the other end. They basically won cups under that formula. Washington copied it the next year and won a cup. But here we are just a few years later, and if you can't move, you can't play. Every other team is copying that that model in terms of creating offense through lateral chances. And when you're locked in low and wide and your lateral mobility is compromised because of that setup and stance too early in a sequence when the play is in your end, can't play that way. Just can't. And to me, this isn't just my observation. I've run this by other goalie coaches around the league who have watched him. I know Ottawa feels the same way in terms of this being a transition he needs to make. I know Adam Francilia has already started some of the biomechanics behind rebuilding some of those to get to this transition. And I give Matt Murray credit because I think he started it last year, narrowing up his stance. If you really watch closely about two thirds of the way through the season, you can see him playing a little, a little, a little narrower, his feet closer, more underneath him and not getting as spread out as he used to. So in some ways it's a reclamation project. And the question becomes, do you pay a reclamation project six and a quarter? Um, That's a fair question. But at the end of the day, all the other things that made Matt Murray great are still there. And if you sort of just change the foundation setup-wise, which seems big but really doesn't have to be, if you've got a guy that's willing to do it, you can get that Matt Murray back because I don't think he forgot how to play goal. I think the way he played goal just no longer fits today's NHL, and you can make that change. And in an, I will try and segue this to Devin Dubnik. Because I think there are elements of Doobie's setup and and the way he was moving in Minnesota that had drifted over the past year and a half. And I think being reunited with Adam Francilli in, in San Jose, who where he's a consultant, will help that. When I look at the numbers, I'll be honest, it's not pretty. Um, Dubnik's adjusted numbers, especially when it comes to lateral plays and, and the types of chances, rebounds as well, the types of chances the Sharks give up the most of for the past couple of years, that's not a great fit. Like he's in the 60s or 70s and they bleed those types of chances. 
but I think you can change some of the elements in his game to make him better on those chances. And I think, again, that's already been recognized and starting to be worked on. And I think that the Sharks recognize the need with a new coach in Bob Bugner to change the way they defend a little bit to stop trading so many of those types of chances. We talk about Hopi having one of the lowest, well, the lowest starter save percentage or expected save percentage in the hardest environment. Uh, some guy named Martin Jones wasn't far behind him last season. I think he was second or third hardest environment. So that's what Doobie is going into, but with an understanding that he has to change a few things. They're trying to change a few things. And what better guy than than the off-ice coach you've already worked with who's also trying to make similar changes to Martin Jones? There's a real chance for those two to feed off each other and for the Sharks to have a bounce back and goal from what was a pretty tough year last season. I don't think San Jose was anywhere near as bad of a team as they performed like last year. There was a club that was a few months removed from a Western Conference final, and that season just got away from them. And it was it was done, and there was no no saving it. Uh, so we'll see whether they rebound back and and having a tandem, another one of those teams with tandem. Like I, I don't know who who their number one goaltender will be at the twenty game mark. It, it could be either Dubnik or Jones Hutch. Uh, yeah, the way things are, are are going with with that group, that might be one of the more tightly contested battles for for the number one job. Hundred percent, and I think that's something that they probably see as a a bonus as they're bringing him in to, you know, sort of push Martin Jones a little bit, um, you know, not, not feeling comfortable and secure as he's been able to for, for a long, a long time. So I can see both these guys feeding off each other and let's not forget, um, you know, do doobie has had to have a bounce back season before and he's turned his career around. He knows what that's all about. And he, you know, he's going to have the mindset that he's capable of doing that. And I'm fascinated to see what will happen as the season goes. And we also know, uh, as we've talked about many times, that there's going to be a lot of opportunities to share the net here in the early going. So I think we might see a few surprises around the league as a result. Bounce back. Uh, maybe you get uh, uh, an opportunity to shoot from the gate uh, like you've been shot by a, out of a rubber band. And that's what uh, <laughs> is happening in Sweden right now. If anybody wants a secret on how to turn around your season from one year to the next, give Nicholas Rubin a call. He plays for Forlunda in the Swedish Elite League. And... Hutch, I want to bring you in here because you had the uh, the feature interview this week that we'll start off with. Troy Grosnick uh, is uh, is coming up next, but just a little bit of a teaser uh, before we get to Troy on uh, what Nicholas Rubin's going through. Sure. Uh, well, we had seen this uh, Swedish newspaper article through Twitter and uh, through the magic of Google Translate. Uh, it was a real nice tease that he had been using... Uh, rubber bands attached to the crossbar to help him stand up more and stop spending so much time on his knees. And it turns out that characterization wasn't wasn't correct. And and you'll hear that in the interview that it was for a very different reason. But at any rate, who who doesn't have their um, goalie nerd radar go off when they see somebody training by attaching themselves to the net with rubber bands for some particular reason? And it's not rubber bands that the mail comes wrapped in. It's it's those tubes that uh, Adam Francilli at the drop his name again has. Uh, used in some articles on Ingold Premium for our members to uh, to train off ice, and uh, so so we'll leave it to uh, to you to listen. Um, but when I saw the article, um, I reached out to Nicholas and just asked if he'd be willing to have a chat with us. And it went from "What are you doing with the rubber bands?" to uh, a full discussion of his season, which has started with three shutouts and four games. Uh, his mental approach to the game for me a fascinating discussion um, on what it is that you know, causes uh, goaltenders to, to be uh, tired on the ice and, 
and it's not a physical thing it's a mental thing we talked about um um how he is combating that with some breathing exercises and that's going to tie into some content coming up at premium as well soon so a lot of fun tie-ins here and and it was just a really nice uh look as we often have done with nhl goaltenders um at the the career of a, a young man playing in in the top professional league in sweden on a very storied franchise one where henrik lundquist began his career so just wanted to give everybody a bit of a tease there on, on that conversation because it's brilliant. But we start off with a feature interview, Troy Grosnick. Uh, Kevin Woodley does that. Uh, the feature interview brought to you by the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey. And Grosnick is a, a gentleman, Woody, who's being on the move, going to a new organization, a real opportunity here. But there's a lot going on in his world right now. Yeah, um, and that's why we wanted to have him on, to sort of get a taste of what this is like in unrestricted free agency, what it's like to be a goalie that's waiting to fill one of those seats in musical chairs, especially, you know, we all focus on the top tier guys, and we heard it from Braden Holtby, we heard it, um, you know, from Corey Crawford and Corey Schneider, we heard about that this was one of the hardest things they'd ever gone through. Well, what about for the next set of guys? Because we know we just talked about condensed season and the importance of having two. I think it's going to be important to have three because you're going to see increased injuries. How teams fill out that next spot is going to be crucial. But what's it like to be a goaltender waiting for teams to make up their mind on how they fill out that next spot in unrestricted free agency? And there's still some guys out there waiting for jobs. So I thought Troy Grosnick was going to be perfect for that. So we wanted to touch base with him. But to tease the few, the other interview... Come on, rubber bands and a goaltender. We were all thinking Millhouse, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. Exactly. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, are, are we going back in time here? Wow. Uh, to the uh, one of the more formative years of, uh, of teaching goaltending and uh, formative years uh, talking about your childhood. Oh, that's something Troy Grosnick uh, had to deal with uh, as far as childbirth anyway, with his family. Uh, this, if you think free agency stressful just listen to what he had to deal with uh in the late stages of the bubble man his uh, uh work-life balance it was all up in the air here is troy grosnick in conversation with kevin woodley on in goal radio the podcast presented by source for sports surrey the hockey shop okay first off we got to start with what's this week like troy because I've been in on a lot of the calls with guys that signed. Uh, obviously, here in Vancouver, we had um, we, we had Braden Holpe, and I was in on a couple of the other Zoom calls, and they all talked about how stressful this was for them, first time going through it. You've been through this before. Like, what is this week like for for an unrestricted free agent? Yeah, I've actually this is my first time I actually went to free agency. Like, I had. I'd signed deals like during the year before. Um, so like it wasn't my first time that it was going to be an option, but it's the first time that it went this far. And um, yeah, it's for sure um, pretty stressful. I mean, what, what in the world these days isn't stressful? First of all, it's, uh, you know, and that was kind of, you know, one of the things that I was able to ground myself in is that it's crazy times for everybody, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy for anybody right now. So just kind of, you know, do what you can and uh, found myself uh, working out a little bit more and, and getting on the ice a little bit more just to try to get my mind off of things that I couldn't control and, um, you know, kind of digging through and seeing who was available and what spots were available and um, just kind of had made my list of, of places that 
um, I thought were potential fits. And um, when you kind of do that and, and feel like it's just kind of planning it out and just, you know, try to get my mind at ease in any way I could. And then being able to uh, be ready for, you know, when, when teams did um, reach out, uh, knowing what had the best potential fit. And um, that's just kind of how I took it and tried not to stress out about it as, as much as humanly possible. But obviously it's, uh, you know, when that's the way that you support your family, like it's a stressful time, not only with the COVID stuff, but, you know, how many good goalies were out there this year. And um, I'm just, I'm thankful that uh, we were able to get a deal done with LA and my family and I can't be more excited to get out there and get to work. Okay. So when you make that list and, and what are you looking for on the checklist? Was it, were the Kings an organization that you thought might be a possibility? How much of this is just total uncertainty and how much of it is, you know, that education of trying to put options in place and hope that one of them hits? Yeah. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, like I, I'm not, you know, I'm not Markstrom or, or anybody like that that can pretty much take my pick from um, w- whatever organization uh, can, can find the money to pay me. It's, it's more so that it has to be the right fit. Um, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I, I kind of, you know, the, the number three guy, if you want to call it that and um, but comfortable enough in my own game. And um, that if, if, you know, you never wish injury upon anyone, but if it were to happen that I can come in and, and do the job. And um, so you're kind of looking for those fits, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, if, if a guy left for, for free agency or a guy's getting promoted or, or something like that. And you just kind of get your ducks in a row and you don't know exactly what all the teams are thinking um, while everything's going on. And so you just kind of map it out a little bit that way. And um, you know, that's the biggest thing for me is, is the opportunity. That's the number one thing that I'm looking for. And then, um, you know, after that, obviously hockey's a small world and, and the goalie world is a smaller, you know, neighborhood of that world. And, uh, so, you, so you hear things about certain places and, um, everything that I heard about LA was, was awesome. And, um, I can't wait to get work, uh, get to work with Billy Ranford and, and Matt Miller. So, um, yeah, it's just, uh, exciting time and, uh, couldn't be happier to be in SoCal. Okay. So the, the one part of that is we do, even in the media, we're guilty of it. We focus on those names that you mentioned, the Markstrom. And, you know, I talked about Holtby coming here to Vancouver and that's where a lot of the attention goes, but we've seen it now for the past three or four years, you need to be three, maybe even four deep in goal as an organization. Um, you guys, like when you're trying to pick those spots, that, that become part of the equation, especially next year. I mean, condensed schedule, I would expect much like the bubble that injuries are going to be, you know, an increased risk next year if we're trying to cram a whole bunch of games into a short area of time. Like it feels to me a little bit like I'm surprised it took to the third day to start to sort some of those tiers out for some of these teams, because when you talk to them, they're all talking about the importance in th- of three. And yet we didn't see it sort of we didn't see the deals for, for the guys in that role start to come until, you know, day two or three of free agency. Was it a tough wait or did you know all along, Hey, they're going to get to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you always know that they're going to get to you. I think just everyone in general this year, just the way everything 
transpired you know there's not the courting period or whatever you want to call it and the draft was only a couple days you know before free agency opened so obviously the teams I mean that's a huge part of their future um so they're pretty focused on the draft um and so like even talking to my agent and stuff that's what it was like everyone's kind of focused on the draft right now which like everyone you know all 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 hockey people are so there's just the way things were this year um so it wasn't a surprise to me that um deals kind of you know it wasn't like right when noon hit like all these deals were done you know I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting that um I was lucky enough that it was kind of really towards the end of that first day when things kind of picked up for me um and so it's just one of those things like I don't think anyone knew exactly what to expect just because it is such a new situation on, on so many different different levels. Um, but I think everyone knew um, that it would come to the point where, like, kind of like you said, the filter down would happen. And, um, you know, I think you – I don't think anyone was nervous about um, going unsigned because teams were nervous to commit money um, because of, of the – uncertainty of what next year is going to look like and I think at least what put my mind at ease about that was like you saw guys um re-signing with the teams that that they had played for um for good money fair money um so I don't think it was ever like a question like they're gonna wait and wait and wait until you know November December to to do these deals um first of all I think hockey culture in general it, it doesn't work like that it's pretty you know upstanding straightforward people and um you know i think like i said those those guys who potentially were free agents resigning with their teams kind of put the rest of us who had kind of uh seen the writing on the wall that we were gonna be free agents um kind of put our mind at ease a little bit okay and it sounds too like we don't see the announcement until i think it was monday or sunday but it sounds like those conversations for you, like you said, started by the end of the first day. So it's not like you were waiting until Sunday or Monday to actually have see the interest and start to gauge it and start to make those choices, which is good to hear. I mean, you're coming off a 920 save percentage in the American League with Milwaukee last year, 919 the year before. Tough to leave. I mean, you're a Wisconsin guy. Was this was this a spot that as much as you choose an organization and depth charts and things like that, was it you know, most of your time over the past two years has been with Milwaukee. Like, is this, was that a tough, tough thing to have to wrap your head around or tough choice to have to make? Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, we love, love being in Milwaukee and I'm, I'm close to my family. My wife has family there too. And, um, so obviously like that was, it was tough, but, um, you know, it's one of those things like, I mean, we were very fortunate to be playing in my hometown for two plus years, and um it's just one of those things that it's part of the business i mean we loved it there we loved all the people there loved having family there but at the same time you know there's 31 soon to be 32 other cities that i'd rather be playing in and um you know this was a little bit of uh a career you know move and uh and choice because i felt like it gave me the better opportunity to have a chance to to play in the NHL because as much of it as a dream it was to play for the Admirals, it's a bigger dream to play and stick in the NHL. And um, anyone that's playing pro hockey, that that's your dream. 
And I guess that's that's part of the balance you have to look at, right? In terms of For those sure. two sides. And when you're coming off a season and a couple of seasons like you did, you talked about being comfortable with your game. Uh, I know you've had a chance to meet Matt Millar at least once uh, up at the camp in in the Net360 camp at Kelowna. We were there with him too. Uh, sounds like you, like you said, you got a chance to talk to Billy Ranford, which is always a positive in the goalie world when you have a chance to talk to Bill Ranford. Um, what... Um, when you talk about being comfortable with your game, talk to me a little bit about the evolution, where it's at now, how it's evolved over the past couple of years. I mean, you've worked with uh, you've worked with Nabby uh, when you were in San Jose. You had Ben Vanderklok um, and a couple different voices uh, in Nashville. Obviously, they have they have an American League goalie coach as well. Um, how's your game evolved over the years? Where do you think it's at now, and why do you think it's you know it's ready for this next step? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 in a really good place. And it's kind of like what I talked to Billy uh, about. It's, um, you know, I feel like the last three or four years now that, you know, I've gotten my game in a place that I'm ready to play an NHL game. If, if called upon, it's, it's just the, you know, it's waiting for that opportunity and I'm still hungry. And I, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm kind of towards the, the top tier of, of American league goalies. And I just, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, that, you know, nothing's going to be handed to you and I don't expect anything to be handed to me going out to LA. Um, and, and I fully expect to kind of going into Ontario as kind of, you know, the older, more established guy and, and, you know, hope, hopefully be able to help out Matt with, with anything that he's got. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if, you know, there is an injury up top or, or something happens, trades happen, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I fully expect to be ready to step in and play. And, um, that's where the game's at. And I have been super lucky to be able to work with a lot of, you know, great people. Like, like you said, Nabby, uh, in San Jose and Corey Schwab and Wayne Thomas before that were in San Jose. And then the past couple of years with Benny Vanderklok there in Nashville and Dave Rook, um, who has been awesome for us, for me, at least personally. And um, I think I've been really lucky that not only that I had like great goalie minds, but they're just great people. And all of them, I, I consider friends, you know, and um, I think that's important um, when you're establishing that kind of uh, player coach um, relationship when it, when it comes to goalies, like, I feel like it's a little bit more of like a friend there's a lot more of like the friendship than there's the goal, the coach and player relationship to it. And I think just having that more comfortability, it allows everyone to open up to each other and, and be more mindful of uh, and open to ideas that, that they might see in your game. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've brought in is there's a little piece that all of them have suggested to me that I try out and I'm like, you know what, this really works. I love this. And, um, I think, think having that open dialogue really has allowed me to, you know, expand my game a little more. And then how can we, uh, you know, I think really the biggest thing for me was when, uh, when I started working with Adam, Adam Francilia and, and the way you changed, um, my biomechanics and, and what I do on, off the ice and even some of my little, some on ice drills that I do and, um, just being able to be more efficient biomechanically, I think has been kind of like the main thing that's really been able to eva like vault my game into a spot where 
I really do think I'm a better goalie than I was when I when I first turned pro. Can you give me one example of of how that how that work has changed your movement? I wasn't even planning on going there today, but you brought up the work w- w- with Adam, and we hear a lot about biomechanics, and and obviously I have a picture in my head, but sometimes already having that idea makes it hard, or maybe I don't present it the same way. So sometimes it's hard to know how to present it. Can you give me a, a just a little taste of a concept of one little thing, whether it's a drill you do on the ice, as you mentioned, or work you do off the ice, like how specifically it's changed those movement patterns and those biomechanics for you for the better? And it's a big question, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you can break it down into a ton of things, but I think the one thing that really everything is centered off of is, is pelvic tilt. And, you know, the way that, that I had my pelvis, you know, more centered under me now, instead of kind of having my back like in a reverse C now it's more like in a normal C, like over the top. And the biggest, like, I, I, I know what I'm doing it wrong. It's funny. I was talking to Adam the other day in the gym and like, I know when I'm doing it wrong and right. Cause after like, if I get into bad habits, say a week of practice, like my back starts to, to hurt. Whereas if I'm doing it right, like that's not going to happen. So I, that's one thing. And I think all in all, it's, it's allowed me to become more powerful, but calm in, in most of my movements. And it's also allowed me to kind of just like be able to keep my edges that like quarter second, like not even longer where I don't have to commit as soon to going down. Um, and I can use my feet and move my edge and use my edges um, and be able to get to plays on my feet a little bit more often. But it all comes back to the pelvic tilt, um, pretty much everything. That's the first thing that we worked on. And it's the thing that I'm most cognizant of um, throughout my workouts. And, and when I'm really trying to, you know, bring new things into my game, that's like the number one thing that I always am trying to be cognizant of. Okay, so shameless plug here. Uh, everybody who's listening to this on the Ingo Radio podcast, Adam actually broke down that pelvic, that neutral pelvis and that pelvic tilt at ingolmag.com for the Ingol Premium membership. So there's there's my shameless plug in there. Now that you now that you went there, I get to just follow up and you you, you set that up on a t- yeah, you set it up on a tee for me. Reminded me of playing golf with you back in uh, Kelowna last summer. Just teed that one up beautifully, my friend. I appreciate it. Um is that where the game's going? You talk about um the ability to hold those edges, the need to hold those edges as it becomes so much more lateral. I'm not sure. I don't get to watch as much uh, American League game. We've seen it in the NHL. If you can't move, you can't play. Is it same thing hold true da- in the American League as well? Like, like, is that where the game is going throughout? And is that where, you know, as a goaltender, you have to be able to to manage that, that ability to hold edges and, and move later and be more patient? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's, you like, you see it, you know, with all the young kids that come up, it seems like they're more and more and more skilled. And the challenge that presents to the goalie is that there's more and more and more plays that are made. You know, it's, it's not just let's wing it, let's wing it off the pad and hope for a rebound. Like these guys are so skilled now that they're, it's not that they're never looking for that, that pass off the pad type play, but I feel like it happens less and less in the last few years because guys are so much more skilled. They're more patient with the puck, which means we have to be more patient on our feet. 
Perfect. Hey, listen, I'm going to let you go. I can hear the kids in the background. I know this has been a, a busy week. I'm excited for you uh, to get down to what does it look like now for you? I know there's uncertainty for everyone. We don't know when either season is going to start, when you'll be reporting to training camp. Do you start to look at places now? How does this work from a family unit? Because, you know, that'll be my last one. But I, I, I do think we focus so much on the goalies. We forget the impact this has on the families. How, you know, where does this leave you guys in the meantime? I mean, school's already started. All I think yours are still a little young for school, but. Yeah, we've got, uh, so my little boy will be three in a couple of weeks and my daughter is almost two months old. Um, so yeah, young for school. Um, it, it is like, it's, it's weird every year. Like, I mean, we don't, like when we were in Milwaukee, like half the time I'd be able to leave some stuff at my parents' house and then just pick it up, you know, the next year. And now, um, you know, we're trying to get that kind of stuff squared away. But because um, we, our home base is up here in Minnesota, like our house is up here in Minnesota. It's where we come back to every off season um, and where we plan to settle down when hockey's over. Um, but so we rent during the year and um, right now, just because everything's so, you know, up in the air about when we're going to start and when we have to be out there. Like, yeah, we, we're kind of looking at places, but kind of not like, you know, you don't want to settle on a place and be gung ho. Like this is the, the house that we're going to be moving to. And then all of a sudden, you know, Oh, uh, can we push that back a month and, and stuff like that. So we're, we're looking, but not, you know, going to commit to anything or anything like that. And as far as moving you know, we, we've been doing it for years now. So I, the old joke is like, my wife's become a pro, like, uh, she, she knows what goes where and, and how many boxes we need for certain things. And, um, you know, we can kind of eyeball what U-Haul size we might need to get everything out there. So it's, um, yeah, it's become a little bit of an old hat when you, when you move twice a year, at least. And actually I said that was the last one, but Darren Millard's going to be really proud of me this week. I'm actually going to squeeze two last ones. How have you, how are you staying on top of your game? You talked about one way to not get caught up in in free agency or worry about the phone going off was extra workouts and extra ice. You've been able to get on the ice. I guess it's going to be a massive cap for some guys. Probably, you know, some guys have been telling me they've been off the ice longer than at any other point since they were a kid. Like how, how do you manage that? What do you think is going to be important to be able to hit the ground running? Yeah, I think a lot of that. So it's kind of funny because I was off the ice the longest I had ever been. Um, when we first had the quarantine stuff and, um, and then kind of as the, as it was coming out, like, this is the plan to get back to play. Then I started getting back on the ice, but I mean, it was like, I think it was like three or four months. It's at least felt like that I hadn't touched the ice. And now everything kind of worked out really nicely. Like when I got back from the bubble, uh, my daughter was born like five days later. And then, so I had like a, a month after, you know, the intensity of, of being in, you know, NHL training camp and, and the playoffs and then, um, Claire's born. So I was able to get like another kind of month long break there and then started getting back on the ice up here in Minnesota. And obviously, you know, all the safety precautions, it's kind of funny, you know, we, <laughs> there's a, there's a couple of rinks up here in Minnesota where you might see a lot of NHL jerseys and, and NHL players getting dressed in the parking lot, like they're mini mites again. So, um, it's kind of, it's kind of been cool, like to, you know, get a laugh out of that. And, um, 
and then other than that, I pretty much I've got everything that I really need to work out here at home. So um, just been working out here at home, and then obviously I don't have the ice at home, so gotta go to the rink for that. But yeah, it's been uh, the last week or two been on the ice like three or four times a week. So you know, it's one of those things. It's it's in our blood, right? Like it's hard to keep us off the ice, and uh, it's what we love to do. So it's been fun. Well, our audience isn't going to on the podcast won't be able to see the smile you just had as you were talking about getting back on the ice. But as long as that passion's still there, like clearly, as soon as you started talking about skating, there's that big smile. As long as that passion's still there for you and that dream is still there, that's that's you keep chasing it. Yeah, like I mean, I, you know me well enough that I, you know, I I love what I do, and I, you know, if there's ever a point in in my career where it feels like a job like that'll be like my cue to it's time it's time to stop but i don't see that happening anytime soon it's uh yeah it's it's my passion and i'm lucky enough to be able to do it as my career i also feel like i lost the plot here a little bit troy i focused on free agency and family and and didn't realize that you that that was that tight you were out of the bubble 5 days before your daughter was born like we're, how like i mean I, I got a million questions about the bubble but we don't need to go there this week but knowing that's going on at home, how much tougher was that? Like, were you like, or did you know pretty, when she she was coming or was, was there a lot of uncertainty there? That's, that's stressful, was, man. Yeah, there was uncertainty um, with Claire the whole time. Uh, she was due like at the beginning of September. Um, but then for a while there, we thought she was going to be coming, um, you know, even like a week earlier than she did. And, um, which so would normally was, be perfect timing, right? You, you time this for a normal off season, you know, like up until like, you know, February or so we're like, this is great. Like she's going to be born. And then like, I'll have a week or two and then, you know, we'll do training camp and like, hopefully we're, you know, I don't, you're not out of the newborn phase quite yet, but hopefully things have settled down a little bit by, you know, weeks two and three. And, so yeah, it it was originally great timing and then COVID hits and we're like, uh, well, she's, she's due, you know, six months from now, like, well, everything will be a little bit better on that front by then, obviously, you know, maybe a little bit better, but obviously a lot of stuff up in the air. So that's going on. And then when they announce like the return to play, it's like, uh Oh, like, you know, if Nashville's still going, like we got to figure out something something to do so but Nashville was great about it they said hey we'll get you back you know in time for you to be there for your daughter's birth and you know we had a game plan set up about what I was going to do and I kind of told them I was more comfortable just driving down from Edmonton a couple days before because so my wife ended up being induced um, and that was going to be the plan Um, and we kind of had it if we would have made it out of that that first play in round um i would have been probably heading back driving down and then uh flying back up after a couple of days um with the family but um yeah there's like a lot of logistics going on and and the people in nashville like were great about it and i know i think other guys were able to get out of the bubble and and see their kids born and then come back and play so um it kind of goes back to what i said before hockey is one of those communities that um you know from the outside it might look like a bunch of hard-nosed guys that all they want to do is win and 
and that type of thing. But uh, the humanity in hockey is never lost. Um, and every organization that I've been a part of um, has always, you know, treated, treated their players, you know, as people and, um, you know, doing the right things in the long run is what uh, gets you ahead in life. Well said, Troy. I uh, I think I had three extra last questions, so I'm I'm right back into my old form. Apologize for that. Apologize for how long it's been, but appreciate you and your time. Um, congratulations on the deal with the Kings. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited for you, knowing what that organization is like for goaltenders. Obviously, coming from a good organization for goaltenders uh, with Dave Rook uh, and Ben Vanderklok, and even down to the East Coast Hockey League, you know they've got Josh Robinson working there. They clearly value the position. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for the time. Good luck, and uh, we'll keep in touch, man. Uh, hopefully, we get rid of this COVID thing so we can actually tee it up again, as opposed to being stuck on other sides of the borders. Yeah, seriously, uh, be looking forward to that. Thanks for having me. And uh, anytime you need anything, Woody, I'm all yours, buddy. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. All the best. Thanks, you too. Well, you raised the bar on that one, Woody. Three, three last questions. Luckily, Troy's good. in my defense, like you can't, I lost the plot there. Didn't even ask him about the birth of his, of his daughter, like literally days after the bubble ended. So I felt like we had to get that in once I realized I'd missed it. So I think it's somewhat <laughs> defensible. Thankfully, Troy's such a good guy that he stuck around for all three of them. I like the way you blame it on, on us going, oh, they're going to get a big kick out of this uh, before, before we throw back. You're trying to, to, Distract Troy from from the fact that you are asking one, two, uh, three more questions. But uh, uh, I love the U-Haul thing. Like they've they've got it uh, just lined up where they can just ballpark it, and they know what kind of U-Haul they're going to do. And I and I'm I'm really excited that that he gets to work with Billy Ranford. Yeah, and he's a guy that's had a lot of success, right? Like I kind of shared some of those numbers there, right? Like there's a reason he was one of the guys that went early. I mean, you you, you don't post a 920 in back-to-back years in the American Hockey League when, without doing something right. And, you know, just a guy we've gotten to know a little bit in the summers, had a chance to uh, spend some time with him on and off the ice, and just one of those guys that you want to see good things happen for because he is such a great guy. And I thought it was interesting to hear him talk about posture, um, we talked earlier about Francilia and the role he's playing in terms of biomechanics with Matt Murray, uh, the, the intent and hope that Devin Dubnik rediscovers some things with, with Adam, uh, in his consulting role with the Sharks this year, the work he's doing with Martin Jones. I'd be honest with you. I would ju- I was just planning on talking to Troy about, you know, unrestricted free agency and what, what that stress is like. But he brought up what a big change. And when I asked him what's changed in his game, how big that posture uh, and and the pelvic tilt and the neutral pelvis and things that we've had Adam talk about on uh, ingolmag.com over the past couple of months, how m- major a change that was for him. And, it, and, and funny enough, I think it's going to tie into our interview later on with Nicholas Rubin when we talk about posture and mechanics and hips and how those things are all aligned in movement. So um, we have a bunch of themes in this massive episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast, that's kind of all end up tying in together. So not on purpose. I'd like to think we're that brilliant, but it kind of worked out okay. Hutch, is uh, Woody trying to steal your posture angle with Ruben? Uh, no, Woody's the originator. He brought me to all of this. No, I'm not going to. I don't think he's stealing stealing my angle at all. 
Well, I uh, I will agree with you on one side. Woody is creative, as you will hear in the gear segment presented by the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey. Uh, Cam over at uh, the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com uh, settling down, and they've got, a, they've got a, a bit of a twist on an old theme, and Woody, this, this is unique, it's memorable, and it's original. Here is the gear segment presented by Source for Sports Surrey and the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports here in Surrey, British Columbia. Of course, you can find them online at thehockeyshop.com. We're down in the basement, the goalie section with Cam Matwiv. And I'm, I've been instructed by a listener. Thanks for the note, Ron Newell, that I can't call it Goalie Heaven anymore because there actually is a store called Goalie Heaven. So I've come up with a new phrase. Again, Ron, thanks for the heads up. We appreciate that you're listening and appreciate the feedback. This is now and forever dubbed by me, Goalie Utopia. Goalie Utopia. (laughs) This is because, I mean, let's be honest. You have to die to go to heaven. You don't have to die to come to the hockey shop source for sports. You can visit very much alive, check out all the gear, multiple walls, like just basically, what else? It's goalie utopia. Anything you need, they have it. The latest, the greatest from all the major brands, as well as smaller brands and smaller pieces you've never heard of that can help you play goal better. Cam is really good at sourcing out those little trinkets, little pieces. Um, so that's that's it, Cam. From now on, this is goalie utopia. Utopia. I like that. Utopian. Utopian goalies. That's us. There we go. So goalie from Goalie Utopia, we're going to look at, uh, today we're going to look at the Bauer uh, mask line. We're going to start with the 960. The uh, new 960. I was going to say, the new 960, and that's important because this is a line that uh, has been along um, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, to borrow, borrow really out-of-date phrases. This has been a staple for Bauer, um, but they've made changes over the past couple of years in terms of foams. And there was an upgrade to the foam that is a big part of the overall upgrade to this 960 this year. You walk us through it. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like you had mentioned, we're, we're, we're running through a mass that's been, been around for quite a long time, but it's been upgraded, you know, little bits and incrementally kind of as we've processed through um, to kind of its humble beginnings when it uh, started, but kind of in conjunction with Jerry Wright to here we are now where um, it's just a straight bower mask in particular, but holds that 960 name. Um, so this new 960, literally called just Bauer 960. Before we had the XPM, that nomenclature has been dropped uh, off the helmet. Um, and there are some changes that are definitely worth noting. And, you know, you kind of alluded to a bit there with the foam in particular. Uh, one of the biggest feedbacks, um, and my myself even having a 960 XPM, was that that foam was very porous and would absorb a lot of sweat. Um, and I think, um, you know, across the board, we had that feedback. We had that feedback even from yourself and setting some NHL guys kind of replying a very similar, you know, their trainer saying that foam just isn't drying between kind of ice times and whatnot. So well, it was, it was more that you had to squeeze out the water cause it would retain water. And mm-hmm. we should be clear the one of the, cause you have to give credit to Bauer as well. One of the reasons they went away from just a traditional foam liner was to try and improve um, the impact absorption by going to you know, some of these more modern foams that are designed to really absorb impact. In other words, the intention and the goal and was achieved was to protect your head better by going to these more advanced foams. The first iteration of this one, one of the side effects was that this one was porous. It did absorb water. 
I may have had an NHL goalie in the locker room basically dump an entire cup of water out of his in front of me to show it. Um, but again, there were safety improvements made with that line. Uh, there's a reason guys were sticking with it even with that because it was such a good mask. And Bauer, to their credit, recognized we needed to change that porous nature of this foam, maintain the protective elements, but add, it sounds like, Cam, they've added a layer to make sure that water is no longer absorbed. Yeah, and I mean, this is part part of the, the whole reason, advancing forward in the foams to create that kind of impact reduction, which they have done, and also create a new softness and supple feel with inside the helmet as composed to some of the previous 960s, which is standard VM foam, which was always quite stiff and took a while to break in. And even then, it still didn't have the same impact qualities that this stuff has. See, see before you keep going on the mask, that phrase, softness and supple, that's why we call this goalie utopia. Where else are you going to have a guy that knows as much about goalie gear that is throwing out lines like softness and supple like Cam just did? I made sure I read my thesaurus. Thesaurus. That's, that's, yeah, that's Just thing. stick with softness and supple. <laughs> Keep going. All right, back to, back to the helmet. So yes, like you said, they have now added a layer over top of this pour-on foam that now prevents that sweat and moisture from absorbing into the foam. So now, you know, we're not having to worry about pushing out a cup of sweat out of your helmet after a long game. You know, the mask is going to help to dry a little bit easier. And then with them also modding the foam in terms of the shape and how it's cut now inside the helmet, they've been able to create more airflow to help keep the mask a little bit drier. Now, that was interesting. I noticed that around sort of the side of the head and around the ear, that foam, like you said, it's got sort of little, and even up above the head, um, like I said, almost like a cutout, like a channel, a rounded sort of gap there to provide, again, the foam is against your head, but in that little channel, you've got some airflow as well. And you mentioned, you know, again, this is why we come to you for the direct feedback as somebody and, and talks to people that wear this mask, wears it, tries it out yourself, gets your guys out in it to get feedback. Sounded like it made a difference in terms of what you were able to hear out there even. Yeah. Initially, when I first got my 960, which I still currently have, and the XPM in particular, uh, what's one of the things I noticed, it felt very muffled in terms of sounds because the foam was right uh, tight up against my ear in particular. Here, even trying this one on in store, you can immediately notice it's a little bit more open. The air flows right away, but you can also have, you know, you can hear things, which is actually kind of important. Well, unless you're me, because then all you do is hear your beer league teammates talking about how bad you are. But for the rest of the people, it's good to hear what's going on. For, for the most part. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you try to block out all the haters as we can, but uh, you know, this time I kind of want to hear what's going on. You know, I've got too many haters. I can't block them out, Cam. Okay. Rest of the, what rest of the features, because we've talked about what's new and what's different. Uh, they've got the XRD foam right in the chin cup. I like that. Uh, in terms of the shell and in terms of the makeup, um, you know, this is, this is a high end mask. This is a protective mask for the highest level, something we're seeing worn right up to the national hockey league. What are some of the other sort of, you know, layout and, and, and features on this mask? I think one of the best things in terms of naming that I've ever seen come into a goalie helmet, Bauer's new smack wrap technology, smack wrap, smack wrap. Long story short, it is basically on how they're, um, the materials going into the helmet composition itself in particular. Um, all about that vibration absorption in particular. But man, is it a fun name to say. Smack wrap. Yeah, it sounds like something that one of my oldest daughters would do to my youngest daughter when she's pissed with her. She'd give her a smack wrap. So, so hold on. This is the way, the, this is the way it's kind of laid out. Like, like walk me through smack wrap here before and stop laughing because I'm going to smack wrap you in a minute. We've got a new phrase. This is even better than utopia, softness, or supple. Explain to me smack wrap. Is that... Like in terms of the way everything's layered or? 
Now, again, I'd have to remember the exact diagram um, that they showed me here. So I'm trying to recall a little bit of old information. From what I remember, it was all between the chin um, and forehead wrapped around. And it's those high impact areas in particular. And again, with the goal of uh, dampening vibration as opposed to be hit. So the exact. And this is within the shell itself. That's within the shell itself. Okay. Exactly. That's, that's so, hey, listen. You're doing a great job. I'm a little slow-witted. I it's tough for me to follow along. So I just wanted to make sure I thought you meant in terms of the way it was integrated. So we're talking about the shell construction here. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So uh, pulling pulling a little bit of information from the back of the brain here. Um I've been smack wrapped a couple too many times unfortunately. So um the exact composition of it, you got me today, but I will find out for you and if you ever call me at 604-589-8299, I'd love to talk about it. Make sure you call him and ask him about smack rap, folks, because I feel like this is just a prank waiting to happen. Um, let's move on from the 960, because I think most people know, like I said, that has been a staple, that name, 960. It has been symbolic of high-level protection, of NHL-level protection for years and years and years, and it sounds like that continues here. Quick cutoff before we do leave it, an additional size that wasn't before offered. So sizing is important. We yes. talk a lot about fit and that's the biggest part of masks. So now we have small, medium and large. When as before, it was just small, medium and a large or medium, large in particular. So we get the additional size in here, help to narrow down the fit for a couple more guys rather than falling into kind of just one category or the other. So, um, so in other words, you're probably now in a large after being back on the podcast and having your head puffed out to the point it doesn't go through doors. Can't even fit through the door. Can't even fit through the door. Too much so, smack So rap. now they have a size for your large head. Smack wrap. Smack wrap. Large. Okay. Let's, before we get into, we're having too much fun with this one. Let's go down to, not necessarily next one down, but different model, um, different price point too. Yeah. So a, a lot of things still change or stay the same in uh, Bauer's helmet world in particular. The only other new helmet that they have for this year is the uh, 930 helmet, which is a polycarbonate mask, kind of designed more as that entry-level price point. Um, it covers our youth sizing and then early junior and senior pricing. This helmet replaces the Enemy 4, again, that kind of like entry-level helmet. Other than that... I was going to say, that those are the new. So yes. 960's new and improved with, the, with, with some elements. 930's new. Correct. But make sure you walk us through the whole line so that people understand. Because these things do change so fast. It's one thing for you and me to try and keep up with them. Frankly, I get lost. Your job is to keep up with them. But let's make sure we let people know how that moves up from the 930 right to the 960. So what stays the same, though, is kind of what I was getting at is that the 950X, or 950X and then the 940X is what stays the same and remains current for this year. Um, so both of those helmets, um, we're taking it kind of a step down as we go. So the 950X, a um, fantastic option for the price point. Um, basically sits at that mid-level price point just above where you would find the Enemy IX and the Enemy Series mask. Um, and still well before you get to that uh, you know, upper price point of the 960 in particular. Um, still combining a lot of the features that we would have found in the old XPM mask in particular. Shares the same foam, shares basically the exact same helmet construction. Um, the only thing you do miss out on is that the older 960 XPM had what's called their Enegra layer, which is the same composite material they use in their sticks, um, just as an extra vibration dampening layer. They don't have that in the 950, but to be honest, when we're splitting hairs, that makes them very close and it makes it a good elite level helmet at 
what is a mid-level price point. And you, so, and again, from a foam liner standpoint, you're not you're not getting the, the you don't get the new 960 foam yet. Okay, so that's one of the big differences there. And then, so next one down is 940, which sits between obviously. Not, I mean, it pretty pretty obvious, right? 930 is your base, and you move right up to 960 at your top level. What walk us through the 940? Correct. So the 940 uh, um, at this point um, is something that was still kind of carrying over. Um, it shares the same uh, polycarbonate shell construction that the 930 has, and that the older Enemy Four has. Um, although the profile shape still remains on the 940. Um, but what you did get um, between that and say the 930 is a bit of an upgrade in the actual foam liner itself. Um, you get a thicker foam, more designed for that impacts, same overall shell, but that's kind of what separates the two price points in particular. Um, the one note to dropping down to the 930 is that they have added an additional fit. Um, before in senior, you only used to have senior and that was it. Now you do have a senior small medium and a senior uh, medium large as well. So another option. That was a lot of information. The key here, folks, is that Cam knows all of this information so well off the top of his head. And if you have questions, not so much about all the details, but you call him up and say, I'm playing at this level. This is roughly the type of shot I'm looking at, or my son is moving up to this level. Which mask do you think he needs? If you're coming into the shop to make sure you get that personalized custom fit, if you can't, Cam will walk you through all the measurements, whether it's online through their fitting guides. You can check those out or give them a call here at the shop. The point is there are a lot of options. Bowers increased the options, increased the fit options at the highest level, which as we've talked about is very important. They've improved the foam for those guys taking the hardest shots. And Cam's going to be able to tell you which model you need, which model, if it's you or your son needs, and help you walk you through that process. That's why we come to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports here in Surrey in person and why you should check them out at thehockeyshop.com. As a matter of fact, I'm going to out him here a little bit. I just witnessed him with a customer on the floor. And watching that interaction with this this young goaltender who had just gone through the tryout process and was hoping to make a higher level, but didn't, ended up back in-house with a mask that was starting to get snug, but still fit and still look safe. What I saw was a goaltender and a parent who could have easily been upsold to a more expensive mask easily been upsold to spending more money here with Cam. Cam went through the fit. He had checked the other fits on the on the wall. What this young man had on was still more than safe for the level he was playing. It still fit him well, even if he started better to have it a little snug around the cheeks than loose and rattling around. Went through that analysis and advised them that for now, they should stay in this mask. So again, to me, having just witnessed that, I think it ties in perfectly with the fact we're talking about masks today. It was just a coincidence. The one customer you saw before we could slip back here into the vault with all the other, all the, all the extra goalie equipment, as you call it, and, and have this conversation. Um, and, and one more sign why you call the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, ask to talk to Cam and his crew, because they're not just going to try and sell you something. They're going to try and find gear that works for you even if that means it's the gear you already have. So Cam, I applaud you on that. Um, I don't know, even know if you were knew I was paying that much attention, but good job on the honesty there. That That's why you get return customers, and that's why we want to work with the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Jeez, uh, the afternoon tire pump, just what I needed. Yeah, jeez, we're not even going to be able to get... We're in the back room, <laughs> folks. We're in the vault here, they call it, where they stole our, stole, store, easy for me to say, all the extra gear. Like I'm literally surrounded by boxes of pads and everything. This is where we do the recording sometimes when it starts to get busy out on the floor. And I am pretty sure now that Cam's head is not going to fit through the door and back into 
goalie Utopia out on the main selling floor. So I will get, I think I see something there I can use as a wedge. It's a pretty thin thigh rise on the new Warriors. I think I can maybe use that as a wedge to get your head out the door. But we'll be back next week to talk more mass. We're going to look at the CCM Axis mass next week with Cam. Uh, Cam, once again, thanks for having us here at Goalie Utopia, the hockey shop source for sports and hockeyshop.com. Thanks, Cam. Well done, guys. Uh, he mentioned Jerry Wright. Uh, I've got an old 960 iTech mask, and uh, the 960. I've got a couple of uh, Bauer masks. In fact, uh, I love, I love that style, love that shape. Uh, the, fixing the foam is, is awesome, but nothing is as great as the new name uh, that you came up with, Woody. Utopia. Mm-hmm. Utopia. I had to come. I had to come up with something. That's, did you come up with that yeah, on the fly, I mean, or did you were you thinking about that when you were heading over there? Oh, let's be honest. The hamsters uh, that turn around on the wheels in my head take a little bit of time to to get cooking. If I was on the fly, I would have just come up with a big blank. So I thought of that one ahead of time. <laughs> I needed something. Hutch, Hutch forwarded me the kind note from our listener who who said we need to stop calling it uh, the other name, Goalie Heaven. Um, so yeah, I, I had a little think on it and I came up with Utopia because it really is uh, it really is the perfect place if you're a goaltender. Goalie Utopia. Utopian goaltending. Uh, what about the uh, the smack wrap? That that got my attention when you guys. I wasn't sure what was going on because I was doing a couple of things and then I heard smack wrap. I'm like, did things just get out of hand? I'm glad they're wearing masks right now if they're if they're hitting each other. Yeah, wait till next week. Um, where there may have been things thrown at Cam's mask next week as well because we're going to stick on the mask theme. But you know what? To be honest with you, we sort of stumped Cam. He wasn't 100% on it. So I felt like we needed to go back to the old days of who needs to be a millionaire mm. and give him a lifeline because that's what you come to us for. That's what you go to him for. Cam, on the spot, couldn't pull it out. If you gave him a minute, he would have been able to double check it. But we're going to bail him out here. We're going to let him do a lifeline and we're going to call up Spencer Freer from Bauer Goaltending, and get the real answer on what smack rap, beyond just being a great-sounding word, like I feel like, you know, finding my younger brother and giving him an absolute shot just hearing smack rap. Um, we're going to find out what it's real all about and how it can protect you as a goaltender. Uh, let's give him a call. So there it is, Spencer Freer, brand manager for goalie at Bauer Hockey. Um, we are, this is, you are the lifeline. For Cam Matt Wiv at the hockey shop. Uh, he didn't completely punt on smack rap, but he wasn't 100% sure on all the details. Beyond just loving the sound of that name, we wanted to reach out to an expert so that it was no nothing left unturned. Can you walk us through what smack rap is and how it keeps goalies safer? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, smack rap is a fine layered uh, dampening system. So it's actually a technology that gets used in um, skis or in tennis rackets. It basically kills vibration. So when a puck makes contact with a mask, you want to be able to deaden vibration as much as possible to take the impact off the goalie's head. So we layer smack rack in between the composite and the, and the fiberglass of the shell, and then that way it actually kills all the vibration. Okay, so we've been talking, and, and Cam talked a lot about the foams that are inside this mask to try and protect your head. This is actually dampening technology built into the shell itself. Correct, exactly. And then we have poron and other foams like that in the actual liner of the mask, but the, the smack wrap is built into the shell. Perfect, and that's a feature in the new 960 mask. 
Uh, Spencer, thank you so much for filling in the little gap. Cam doesn't leave a lot of gaps. No problem. Um, including through doorways as we try and try and fit his head through there after we've we've pumped his tires so much. Um, but he left a little sliver of a gap here and we wanted to reach out for an expert. So this is this is this is us doing that. This is your appearance uh, in the In Goal Radio podcast through the old Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Lifeline. Thank you very much for doing this. And we'll catch up soon with some more updates from Bauer Goalie and all the great innovations you've got going on there. All right. Thanks so much. Well done. Nice job, uh, Spencer and, uh, and Woody. Smack rap and the, uh, the 960. And, uh, and Bauer's kind of like gone back to their roots a little bit, but, uh, but really evolved with the foam and now smack rap. It's, uh, it's nice to see because I, there was a, a time about five years ago where I thought, are goalie masks going to really change, like the shape, the design, everything? I, I like this traditional look, uh, Hutch, and and but with the technology added in. It's one of the things I've said before, I love the most about gear. When we started doing this 10, 11 years ago, I remember looking at probably the Reebok P4 at the time and said to myself, really, is there anything more they can do? I mean, they've really refined this gear so much since the day I was wearing the old brown leather Coopers. We must be pretty much near the end. And then incrementally, year after year, innovation after innovation, and uh, and there's always more. So I find it absolutely fascinating. And Bauer with these helmets has taken another another big step. And it's it's just really exciting to see where, where we're going. Woody, uh, I saw something the other day. It was a Doug Sotart ad from nineteen seventy nine or eighty. Winnipeg Jets uniform and uh, Hutch. I'm going to uh, just bring you in G ninety five pads and GP twenty one blocker yeah. and twenty uh, trapper. So it was it was awesome, and I thought. Woody wouldn't have any clue what he was looking at. I was at, just right? going to say, how old are you guys? They're in my <laughs> office, so Woody's seen them. Yeah, I've got the 95 pads. I've got the, I think they were the GM12 blocker and GM21, was it? GM21? Yeah, okay. yeah something like that. Anyway, I, mem- I remember getting them, and it's because Ken Dryden had them that I des- desperately wanted to have them. So, uh, yeah, fun, fun to go down memory lane there, isn't it? And, uh, and we've got uh, some traditional looks, and we've got some uh, technology that's uh, influencing things. And you can talk about that in the, in the teaching of the goaltending uh, area as well. And, you, you know, when you look at, at just sourcing out information, this podcast is so great at it because you guys uh, are, are tied in. Uh, Nicholas Rubin from Frolunda. Uh, Hutch, you teed it up earlier, but uh, as we throw to this uh, second interview in this episode, uh, why you wanted to get in touch with Ruben, and then we'll let the interview tell the story. Yeah, Nicholas Ruben, who's dressed head to toe in Bauer, so a nice little uh, tie-in as well uh, in this episode of Many Tie-Ins. I was fascinated by how he might be tied by rubber bands to the net to improve his goaltending. I must admit, when I saw a headline saying it was about making him stand up more, I was kind of shocked and I wanted to see what coach would be doing this. And uh, it turns out that it was uh, something quite a bit different and it ties in more to the Adam Francilio type of work of maintaining the correct posture on ice. And uh, so uh, I just wanted to reach out and have a chat with him, see if we could learn a little bit more about that. And as we did that, knowing that um, a significant portion of our audience is North American, we had an opportunity to talk a little bit about Swedish hockey as well and educate our audience a little bit more. And for those who know it well, um, some of it will be a repeat, but I think for a lot of us, it's going to be an interesting look uh, behind the curtain of professional hockey in Sweden. 
presented by the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey. A feature interview with Nicholas Rubin. Posture is perfect when you're talking about making saves early on in the season. Here is that conversation. We are with Nicholas Rubin, and he is a goaltender in the Swedish Hockey League, the top professional league in Sweden. And we happened to stumble upon an article in a Swedish newspaper. Uh, thanks to Google Translate, we were able to, to read it. And it looked like uh, Nicholas was off to a fantastic start to his season in the top league and, uh, and also had some unique training going on this summer that maybe helped him out a little bit. So we thought it'd be fun for all our listeners, Nicholas, to hear from you. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, quite the start to your season. Uh, from what I see, four games, three shutouts, a 0.76 goals against average, and 962 save percentage. Uh, that's a that's a great way to start your year. Yeah, I couldn't ask for a better start. So uh, it's fun um, when you can get this start and get the confidence going, and it helps a lot. You know, most of our listeners are in North America. We've just seen the NHL finish the the playoffs, and and a lot of kids are getting back on the ice, but a lot of kids aren't able to get back on the ice here. So so what's going on with hockey in Europe right now? Obviously, with the the health situation, and well, of course, it's um, a very different situation from what we're used to. Um, we cannot have um, people in the stands on our games. So I think we allow fifty people only to watch the games. So um, it's it's different to play um, to not get that cherries from the crowd and, and all that stuff. So, but you can't. Comp- playing that much too because we're just uh, available to play hockey and that's what we're gonna do so yeah that's great so are are you planning on is the league planning on a full season uh, yeah they are um they have some meetings like like pretty often um because you know all the the teams in the league don't get uh, that much money to their to the teams uh because we don't have people on the games and stuff so it's uh it's a different situations and they're trying to find solutions all the time. And uh, the government, uh, they only have meetings like one, one time per week, I think. And the people uh, or the teams are just have to wait for them to, to get the calls and if they're allowed to let people go in the games. And, and so it's, it's different. So, so maybe you could just educate some of our North American listeners. I know obviously we've got a lot of uh, very educated listeners who are very familiar with your league, but but maybe just sort of put the Swedish Hockey League into the context of European hockey and professional hockey in Europe. Well, I think it's it's a, a good league. Um, I think it's one of the top leagues in, in Europe, uh, definitely. Um, I think it's, uh, it's fun hockey to watch. It's fast hockey and um, a lot of things happening. So... I think it's a great league and there's many North American and Canadian players coming to our league too to play. So we have one Canadian guy uh, on our team. So it's, um, it's, it's a good league and I think it's getting better and better. And you play for a pretty storied franchise and we're, uh, we're champions last season too, weren't you? Yeah, we were. Our, um, so it's, it's really great, great uh, team to be on and great city too. So, we have uh, really good coaching staff and all that, and they want us to be successful too. So it's it's a great place to be. Yeah. So so that franchise for people who don't know, Frölunda is that correct pronunciation? How's yeah. my 
Yes. Yeah. Might That's good. To, That's good. Might might have to uh, to work on my Swedish a little bit. Uh, some fairly well known alumni, people who've played for for Lunda before. Can you maybe share some of those names, including one that's been in the news recently? Uh, we have Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, play there. Probably the the biggest name there. Uh, yeah. that everyone knows. And you know, like uh, there's Daniel Alfredson and Eric Carlson. There's many many great players who play for Frölunda, so it's uh, a big club, as you said. So, uh, tell us about that start. What, what, what do you think has helped you uh, start so well this season? Uh, I think for I have one year in the backpack. I played uh, my second year now, so I get more like comfortable with everything around, and uh, my confidence has been better. I think, and uh, to get that uh, when you you have that in your backpack, I think it's helped you to take a bigger role in the group and um, to get the, to work better with your demons and, and the whole team. And I think we, we are very important in our team that everyone is involved with the process. So uh, I think it helps to, uh, for a goalie to, to, to know that and always have a good chat with your demons and be a part of how the team wants to play. So let's let's rewind a little bit because we often start here with the professional goaltenders we talk to, and and that would be, how did you get your start as a goaltender? What what age did you begin, and and why did you want to become a goaltender? I started playing when I was seven, I think, um, as a player, but I was not that good at it. And uh, <laughs> as everyone else, I thought I was cool with the equipment and all that stuff. So I, I tried out to be a goalie when I was eight and I was stuck with it since then. How, how did your parents feel about you being a goaltender? Uh, uh, maybe they weren't that happy because it's so expensive. <laughs> but uh, they, they always supported me. So they're just... They uh, they just think it's fun to to watch me play and the team too. So, and and what does development look like um, for a goaltender in Sweden? How have you been supported growing up? Did you have goaltending coaches that worked with you from a young age, or what time did you start working with one? Uh, I had my first goaltending coach when I was uh, sixteen, I think. So I didn't have it from youth age. Um, I think it's when I started playing. I don't think it was that common to have a goaltending coach at that young age as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working with my first goaltending coach when I was 16 in my uh, in my hometown for the team I played. Um, but I have goaltending coach and since then. Sure. It's, and to give a little context, am I right? You're 24 years old now. Yeah, I am. Yeah, so I th- I, th- I think there was probably a, a North American perception that that you're receiving goaltending coaching a little bit younger than that. Um, I think we we look at the Swedish model as as a really impressive one, and uh, so to hear that you're you're not getting coaching until 16, I think is is probably going to be a little surprising to some people. How do, how did you manage through those years? Do you think that's uh, do you think it hurt you at all? Do you think it maybe gave you an advantage because you had to sort of learn to to manage the position on your own? What what, what was that like? I think both. Um, I think it was really good for me to to learn myself as a, how I want to to play, and how how I want to look out there, and all that. And obviously, I, I looked a lot to Hank because he was yeah. the best goal in Sweden. And you try to 
not play like him, but you you steal all those uh, small details from from good goalies. So, uh, and I think it's maybe when you're young, I think maybe you need to find out um, who you are out there and what you're good at, and maybe what you need to uh, be better at too. So, I think actually it was good for me to to get it at uh, later. If if somebody watched you, what would you say is a strength to your game? What makes you the goaltender you are? Um, I think I'm pretty good to to read the game, um, good reflex, and move my feet good. I think I'm pretty quick side to side. What are, what are the keys to learning to read the game? I think is to be uh, patient. I think you have to. I know, but you have you have to like read the game for that. You need to have that patience on the ice to like start try to read the players what they're doing and let them do the first move, and always have um, a wide look on what's going on around you. I think. And I think we we see the European game is requiring that even more, just with the bigger yeah, ice and more exactly. patient players. I think that too. Like here, I think it's. The players have more options here because the ice is bigger. And it's not like the American Canadian hockey that it's m- more like crushing the net all the time. So it's, yeah. it's a big difference, I think. If you're talking to a younger goaltender, if you had the opportunity to, to go out and work with somebody a little bit younger, um, what, what would you be having them do in practice to, to try and understand the game a bit better? Do you have any thoughts on, on how they can work that into their practice time and learn to read a bit more? I think it's always important to, for me, it has been, but to compete every day and every practice, you you have to compete and do your best. Um, I think that's the number one key to every goaltender out there uh, who's younger and not get lazy. I think that's one big key and um, have fun too. Like it doesn't always have to be perfect out there. Um, I think that's uh, what that made me successful is to, to always compete and try to have fun and don't always uh, have to look super good. <laughs> so, something that might have come from not having coaching for from a young age. Yeah, probably, yeah. probably. Yeah. So, who are some of the coaches that you've worked with that uh, that have been influential since since you were sixteen? Well, I have um, quite a few coaches that have been really good for me and my, my game. Um, my first goaltending coach I had, obviously, he, he's been meaning a lot to me and we still have um, contact today and talk over phone and all that. So he's been really a big key for, for my career, I think. And uh, uh, my first uh, goaltending coach when I started playing pro here in Sweden, Mikkel Sandberg is an old goalie too. Yep. So uh, I think that's because he, he gave me the chance to start playing pro and we had uh, two two years together and that was really successful, I think. And uh, now with uh, Christopher Martin, I have in Frölunda, uh, who yeah, I think he has been making my game uh, better he's uh, I think he sees what I need to be better at so obviously him too yeah so so what are you working on and remember this is 
pretty much a goaltending only audience. So so feel free to be as you know goal, goalie nerdish as you as you'd like to be. Um, what are you working on to, today? Today we're working on the call for making me. I'm pretty athletic, so I sometimes I can overplay some situations. So we're trying to get me more calm. And that's where uh, that thing with the the rubber the rubber band when you read in the newspaper. Yeah. So tell us more about that. Yeah, we start working at it late the season before everything got canceled. Um, so we wanted basically we wanted me to be higher up when I sit on the ice to get my hip to be higher. So and in the butterfly. I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So don't so that I don't fall down on my ass. Okay. I get my hip to be more straight, um, to be more to get to next situation easier, and so we basically just put a like a rubber band we have in the gym, right? Like the tubes that you would exercise in, with? In ball, on the crossbar. Yeah, so we put that on the crossbar, and then we put it um, on my chest. Okay, and that makes me have to to stabilize my core and hip. Now, are you, so, are you using that just with as you're doing some crease movement patterns, or are you? At first, we were just starting it. No, we were, we were just starting with me going down on the ice to find okay. that um, balance. Okay. So that I don't, because if you have or too uh, forward, you're gonna just slide backward, and if you're too low, it doesn't help. So you have to find that balance, and then you just like start to to move with that on you to get your core up or hip up. So it was special. It was really weird feeling in the beginning. I'll bet. But yeah. And then we did some shooting drills with it on. And uh, then we took it off to uh, after like 30 minutes with it on to see the difference. And then we did that for basically the whole summer. Um, We were on the ice two times per week. So we did it for like three months, I think. I think it's been really successful. It helped me a lot to to basically look bigger in the net. So I think that's. I, I assume you still have a little forward angle. We're not just sort of. No, exactly. You still. Down. Yeah. You're no, just dialing so, in where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. So the the thing I had before was when I was went down in my butterfly, mm-hmm. uh, I could had my my ass like almost falling down, touching your to, skates almost. Yeah. Especially, especially when things were happening fast on the ice, like situations where you, uh, a lot of things going on around you. So we just like really put a lot of effort in that. And I think it's, like I said, been really successful and helped me a lot and creates me. I think it's creates more time for me out there to, to get to the next situation and, and all that. And sorry for pulling on this thread too much, but, uh, I can just imagine that there's probably going to be some some goalie parents or coaches out there that are suddenly going to go to the gym and grab some tubing and start hooking their goaltenders up. And I think we want to make sure that if you are experimenting out there, that they're doing it the right way and and uh, and and making sure that you're getting the benefit that you want from it. So, um, so it's not really restricting your movement too too much. It sounds like it's more just sort of a a, a biomechanical cue or something to to let you yeah. know when you're in the right spot. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and what's, what's a day in the life of a Swedish professional goaltender? What do, how do you, how do you spend your day? When, when are you training? Um, what's it like to be a pro? 
Um, here uh, on our team, we have meeting in the morning from eight where we have breakfast and then we have a team meeting around nine the coaches are used to like talking asking everyone how everyone are doing and stuff and then uh, 9 15 we have gym session for like 45 minutes an hour mm -hmm. and then we have uh, team practice after that and then lunch and then after lunch we have some individually skate if uh, if you need to work on something so if you were going to work with your goaltending coach that's that's when it would come in yeah and we always have our goaltending coach with us like on every every uh, skate so we can use him like when we want to and he's on every game too so mm -hmm. and do you do some video review sessions with him as well yeah we do um on every game we always the day after we go through the game and watch the clips and talk it through um and on practices we can we use uh, some videos sometimes uh, but only when we are working together not when we have team practice only when we're working together um and if there's stuff we we want to look through like could be everything basically mm -hmm. and as a you know, we talked earlier about learning to read the game and how important that is for you. Uh, video part of that process? Are you pre-scouting your opponents and, and learning what you're about to face? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, often the day before, he, he gave me give me some clips, like maybe four or five clips on some players that he think is a, a threat. Often it's like PPs or in, in our PK too to see where they shoot or how they want to move the puck in our soul. And, and how do you take that onto the ice? Uh, are, are you looking for something specific? Or are you more just nice to have it in the back of my mind somewhere? How important is it for you? Before it wasn't that impo important, but now I think it is important because I think it helps me to recognize situation on the ice, especially in our PK, uh, to see if they're moving the in special uh, special ways then i think it's easier for me to read what's gonna happen so i think it's 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 a great great tool to have yeah sort of give you that feeling that you've seen it before as it's coming yeah exactly so i i, I kind of knew what's gonna happen so i can read the situation better i think what's uh what's the rest of the season look like for you what's what's coming up uh, we have a pretty tight schedule, play two to three games per week. Uh, I don't know, maybe the CHL hockey tournament. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. I think it's, they don't know themselves it's, if it's going to be or not. So, so it's, it's, that's a fun tournament to play. So I hope it's... So tell us about that. Uh, it's basically a, a tournament we have here in Europe, Champion Hockey League. Okay. So it's uh, like the top teams from every league here in Europe, not Russia though, but uh, the other leagues mm -hmm. who played uh, like a tournament that's it's during the whole season where you first have group stage and then you advance to quarterfinals, semifinals and the finals. So that's mixed in with the regular season in your own league in terms of yeah, schedule. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we we actually won that last time. So uh, we played a, a Czech team in the finals. So it's it's a it's a fun tournament to play, and it's fun to to play other teams that 
place on a whole other uh, way because the league here in Europe is so different to on how every team plays. So right. uh, it's fun. How do you, how, how does that work in terms of preparation? Be, you know, I, I can imagine for, for most goaltenders in professional hockey here, um, you know, you have your regular season schedule, you know, you're working game to game and who's coming next, but now you're suddenly mixing in something completely different and then back to your regular yeah. season. And how does that change your preparation and routine? Well, it is like kind of different because you can have like for a normal week, you can have two games in your own league. Then all of a sudden you have a, like a playoff game in between there. So that can be a little different to get from playing like a regular season game and then playoff game and then you have regular season game again. So uh, it's different, but like I said, it's, it's fun. So it's, it's easy to uh, get in the mode for that. And, and when you're doing that, I mean, does your approach change for that playoff game in the middle of the season or, or is it just another game? Well, I want to say it's just a normal game, but of course, I think when there's playoff time, playoff sure. games, you, you have another man mentally going into that game uh, compared to just a uh, regular season game. So it is a little different to, to adjust to that. But like I said, I think it's when it's just playoff games, it's easier to, to be more ready. Sure. I, I mean, and I only ask that because we, we quite often hear, um, you know, as advice for for kids uh, going into to big games, to important games, that you have to take it like just any other game. Don't treat it any exactly. differently. And, exactly. and yet here, here you are as a pro facing that situation, which is a little bit different. Yeah, it is. As, as you said, you you try to be like as cool as you always are before a game, but. Maybe your heart is beating a little quicker when it's something that matters more. Yeah. Do you ha do you have a routine on game day? What what's a game day look like as you get ready to to play? Um, yeah, I have some some preparations. I always do like between uh, morning skate and the game. It's I don't do that much. I maybe have a quick power nap and just watch TV. But before the game, I have uh, like the same things that I always do before to to get ready been before that i like to do so and i think it's like every goal i think they have their certain way to get ready for a game so yeah can you share some of those things with us if young fans well, of nicholas rubin want to know what they're gonna uh, <laughs> what they can do in their next game to get ready actually i don't have that specific things i play two touch soccer uh, before and then i go for a jog for like 10 minutes that i and i think that it's when I get ready uh, mentally for the game. I try to be as relaxed as long as I can before, so I don't get. Um, I think it's for goalie. You don't get tired in the same in the same way as a player. I think for us, it's more like you get tired mentally in your head during a game. Like I can feel after a game sometimes that my my body is it's fine. Uh, I could play on another game more, but my head is not ready for it. Oh, that's so interesting. That's the yeah. I think I talked to my goalie coach with it too, and he said he think he thinks it's a, a common thing with goalies that because um, there's 
so much things going on on the ice and you're using your brain, I think, in a whole other way than the players do. So that's quite interesting, I think. Yeah, especially, you know, something that over here has come up a lot this this year in particular um, is the idea of how many back-to-back games a professional goaltender can play. And I think exactly. the the casual fan will say that, come on, the back-to-back shouldn't be that hard. Um, no. Physically, you should be able to handle that. Um, yeah. But but you think this might be playing into that? It's a different sort of fatigue. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, like I think your your body uh, fix it absolutely. Uh, but I think it's more that your mind and your head and your brain that you're tired there. I think. How do you deal with that? How do you recover from it? How do you? Is there something? I mean, do you work with a mental skills coach, for example, or? Yeah, we we have a, a mental coach in our team that we can use, and I worked a lot of, with her since she got here. And uh, basically, we work a lot on, on during the games when the puck is not on our side of the red line. I try to be focused, take my focus off the game, and put the focus back on when they're entering our uh, our side. I think there's. To, to save energy, basically. And and how do so, you do that? Or is there a specific exercise she wants you to to do at that point? Or use my breath a lot. Okay. Focus on my breathing. Breathing to take deep breath and uh, try to be as relaxed as I can in my body. So you have a routine that you've worked with her away from the game, and then game time comes, and now you're sort of doing these exercises with the puck at the other end. Yeah, exactly. How about how about in between periods and so on, or TV breaks? I assume you have some of those too. And yeah, we have TV breaks too. Um, it's same there. Just try to be as relaxed as possible, and just and just breathe there too. So uh, I think it's helped me a lot to to have the energy uh, for for sixty minutes and not get like before. I, th- I think I could get like very tired in my in my head and i can almost feel like exhausted out there i think that helped me a lot it's interesting because i know here as kids reach the age where they transition to playing three 20-minute periods uh that's a big challenge and and again you might casually look at that and say come on it's only 15 more minutes or something but but it's a big step isn't it yeah it is it is also I uh, think that when you're now we we don't have people watching the games, but when you have a lot of people watching the games too, and it gets like hotter in the arenas too. Like I, I sweat a lot too, so I had to be make sure that I get all the the water I need in my uh, between breaks and stuff too. So. Mm-hmm. What is in that water bottle? Is it just water or something else? We have some. I think it's almost like Gatorade, yeah. like Enervit. So it's basically the same. Yeah, people love to know these things, so it's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's fun to share. I I think the I think the mental side of the game and and what you've you've uh, touched on here is so important, and and I think for people to learn some of those things that can be done to help you through a game is uh, is uh, great for for young goaltenders and older goaltenders to, to learn about because yeah. I think those are uh, big advancements we're making in the position. Yeah, it is, and I'm I'm 24, and I start working with this two years ago. So, 
if you can work with that like when you're younger it's it's a great tool to have in your game yeah so you've noticed a big change yeah i have yeah Are, change, do, do you play back-to-back games in in your league yeah we have sometimes but it's not often uh we have like schedule here that we play thursday saturday and sometimes we play tuesday thursday saturday so we always all, almost every every week we have a, a day between the games okay um i really appreciate you taking all this time we spent a whole lot of time together nicholas and and yeah. to, to be able to meet somebody out of the blue like this is is really fantastic yeah it is it's just fun to 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 be here and share share some stories See, that's cool. There's no prior relationship there, you, but you reach out and you talk to them and you find that common bond in goaltending and it ends up being this really interesting conversation about one, posture in the butterfly and not letting your hips sag. And that's something uh, everybody can can use the reminder on to stand a, a little bit taller, sit a little bit taller in your butterfly. And then uh, the breathing and, and everything else that goes along with goaltender. So uh, well done, Ahach. Thank you, sir. No, it was a fascinating interview and it was great to get deep into a lot of those things. And we've exchanged a couple of emails since the interview. And and I think we're going to have an opportunity to uh, have Nicholas make a, a few more appearances from a teaching perspective to share some of those things that uh, that he uses in his game. And and a special thank you to him for sharing some of his time with us. Bookending this uh, episode with uh, feature interviews, uh, Nicholas Rubin and Troy Grosnick on Ingle Radio, the podcast. Uh, It's been uh, a really interesting, fascinating, wild ride uh, the last uh, 15 days or so in the world of goaltending. And uh, Woody, do you think that that we see a little bit more movement or does everybody take a breather on the free agent side and just settle in? Well, I think the last move is going to be sort of making sure you have somebody lined up down the depth chart. We talked about Schneider in that number two slash three role with Sorokin and the Islanders. We talked about Aaron Dell going to Toronto. We talked with Troy Grosnick about filling that spot in LA. Um, that's it make there. There are still some names out there and still some spots in that role, as well as the number two spot in Anaheim, which I think we all expect to be Ryan Miller. But some of us wonder why that's taking so long after that. Yeah, I expect it to settle down for a little bit and just just be us sort of going back and making sure we get interviews with each and every one of these guys so we can bring them to uh, to our audience over the next couple of months until we actually get some hockey to talk about again. A lot to catch up on in the world of goaltending with all those uh, players changing places. Uh, the best tandem in the league continues to be, however, Woody and Hutch. Uh, great job again. Uh, well done. As we bring this episode to a close, thanks to uh, everybody for listening, and thanks to Troy Grosnick, Nicholas Rubin, as well as uh, Source for Sports, sorry, The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. We'll chat with you again next week. Music.